Welcome to In Your Area. On today's episode, we welcome back Francis Stairs of Urban Upgrade and New Infills and Heather Mana of MMG Mortgages. The pair chat about the new mortgage stress test rules coming out on June 1st and how these will impact buyers and sellers in Alberta. They also discuss the current real estate market, what might happen with occupancy levels in city centres, and where interest rates might go in the months to come. We hope you enjoy. My name is Frances Dares. I'm the broker with Urban Upgrade and New Infills, a boutique real estate brokerage here in Calgary. And I'm joined today by Heather Mana from MMG Mortgages to talk about the new changes to the stress test and what that means for us. Hi, Heather. Hi, Frances. Uh, thanks for the introduction. I'm glad to be here. So let's jump right in. So Heather, on May 20th, there was an announcement made about changes to the government stress test. Can you tell us a little bit more about what changes are taking place? Yeah, so in in a nutshell, right now, the benchmark rate that we need to qualify someone at for a mortgage is at 4.79%. So somebody's actual mortgage interest rate could be 2%, for an example. But when we run a mortgage application, we need to qualify them at a higher interest rate. So the changes effective June 1st are that that 4.79 now goes to 5.25%. So it's an increase by about 50 basis points, which essentially means that the average homeowner will qualify for less. So the uh, announcement is that it is either the contracted rate plus 2% or 5.25%, whatever is higher. So that's what is effective as of June 1st. Now with these changes, the um, Office of the Superintendent, they also did make things a little more streamlined for the future. So they have committed that every December, they will now re-review that benchmark uh, stress test qualifying rate, which is a positive thing because they did not have any guidelines in place before that actually said that they would be reviewing it on an annual basis or a specific time for that matter. So the current stress test has been where it is for quite a long time, even though rates had been declining, the stress test had not been going down um, or the rate I should say. So this is the change. And again, it's effective as of uh, June 1st and will be re-reviewed again in December. Okay, that's great. And could you explain a little bit about um, what that deadline of June 1st means? Is that, you know, contract day or application day or how does that work? Right. Good question. And there has been a lot of um, confusion around here and there is some inconsistencies with the lenders. The federally regulated banks and monoline lenders and alternative lenders, they are all following this. Um, They do have to. Now, the way that they are following the guidelines and for the mortgage insurers is that it is as of the purchase contract date. So if somebody is in the market to, to buy and they have written a purchase contract, whether it's through a builder or with a real estate agent or a private sale, and the contract date is anything before June 1st, they are grandfathered in at the current rate, which is 4.79. And that is even if the submission of the mortgage application comes in Uh, post June 1st. So if we're sending in a mortgage application in July, but it has the date prior to June, then they're still grandfathered in at the 4.79% qualifying rate. Now, if it, now the inconsistencies are because some of the provincially regulated lenders are 
they've got some different guidelines. Now, whether this is system related or not, we're we're unsure. And as of the day of this recording, the, the way that they have announced it is that it is as of submission date. So they are not going off contract date, they are going off of submission date. So that's really important to know because if an applicant or a consumer is dealing directly with one of those lenders and the lender advises them that they have to qualify at the new rate of five and a quarter, even though they had a contract dated prior to June 1st, that might just be their own internal rules. It does not mean that every lender is like that. So just important to note with that, if somebody is looking to qualify for a new refinance, an equity takeout of their property or a mortgage renewal, that all has to be in as of um, June 1st to have the current date or prior to June 1st, I should say, to have the current rate. That makes sense. So it sounds like buyers are really going to need to pay attention to who their lender is and talk to their broker and make sure they, if this affects them, that they, you know, get their application in on time then. Yeah, definitely. And and a lot of the buyers are seem to be pretty astute about the stress test because this is not, the stress test is not new. We really first started to hear about it back in uh, 2012. And that was more a lot like along the lines of debt ratio. So tightening up of the uh, total qualifying ratios. It has enhanced since then. So uh, in 2016, they did announce that the insured mortgages would now see stress tests with an actual benchmark qualifying rate. In 2018, then it was announced that all mortgages, so high ratio and conventional, um, would all see the stress test. So again, this isn't new, just the only thing that's happening is it's just an increase to the rate. And again, adding more consistent measures with annual checks. Now, with all of that said, one of the surprises that kind of came to all of us is that a few months ago, it had been announced the change would only be for conventional mortgages. So what was a little bit of a surprise to all of us is that it ended up being announced um, kind of minutes later on after the announcement was made last week. It is not just conventional mortgages. It is high ratio mortgages. It is first time buyers, it is for investors, it is for absolutely everybody. So there is no exemptions to um, to the increase of the stress test. Right. I imagine that's resulted in a little bit of a scramble for some people who, you know, didn't previously think this would affect them that now it does. Yeah, we were given about 10 days notice. And you know what, the government did that on purpose. Um, I mean, they are trying to slow things down a little bit. And of course, there is some concerns as well. Okay, well, that makes sense. So could you tell me why were these changes and increases to the qualifying rates implemented? So it really comes down to um, the key concern being economic shock. So really going forward, as we you know kind of come out of this pandemic, we're facing uncertainty around or surrounding uh, unemployment, drop in income for people, um, a sharp reduction in, in house prices. Um, they're concerned that the average homeowner could be overstretched. Now, just because this is a concern, it does not mean that this will happen. It's just on the radar of, of the Bank of Canada and of the Office of the Superintendent. So given that they put more stringent qualifying guidelines in place. And so at the end of the day, if somebody has a 2% mortgage rate today, and they have a five-year term, and that mortgage comes up for renewal in five years, and if interest rates have increased to 4%, then can that applicant qualify still for this mortgage payment? And that is the big question mark. And so I I don't think it's actually a bad thing that this is increasing. It's, it's probably a very financially responsible decision. Um, again, we wish we had a little bit more notice, but, it, but it's not actually a bad thing. And so 
that is ultimately why this change happened. And, you know, this was not just the Bank of Canada's decision. They put um, they put this out there actually to all of the lenders and banks and to the public. And they had numerous responses. Um, it was quite overwhelming. And so they had to do something to make this to make this change. Now, we did at our brokerage, we did do a look back over the last 12 months to see how many of our clients or applicants are actually stretched. So when we do a mortgage application, we have to we have to really review total qualifying ratios, maximum affordability. So the average homeowner now will qualify for about 5% less on a purchase price um, or mortgage renewal or refinance. So that 5% could mean, um, and again, it's it's between 4 to 5%. It affects the lower priced homes or buyers a little bit more. But on a property, say, where somebody could qualify today for $500,000, June 1st, that would be closer to, say, $475,000. So that is the impact to the buyer or to the applicant. Now, when we did a look back at our brokerage for um, you know, all of the mortgage fundings and applications that we had done, over 80% of our book of clients still would have qualified for that exact same mortgage, even at this new stress test. So that is positive. A lot of people were thinking it would affect more, you know, 50-50, but there is still, you know, a good almost 20% of people that actually would not have qualified for the same amount of mortgage and they would have been affected and their amounts would have dropped. That makes sense. So that's probably the 20% that's, you know, scrambling a little bit to, uh, you know, to get into the market at, under the uh, the old rules. Right. Especially in a time where the market is so heated and, you know, prices are um, are higher than they were before. So, you know, I think a lot of buyers are, are feeling the pinch right now. So um, I know there are a lot of people who are actively out there trying to get a purchase or an application done um, prior to the June 1st deadline. That makes sense. And you mentioned that the uh, the average qualification is affected by four to five percent. It is four to five, yeah. And and the percentages actually do drop a little bit more on the lower end homes. And so, actually, we we put out um, some information just on our social media channels and on our on our website on our um, MMG Mortgages page, which actually shows you what the average person could qualify for now based on certain income amounts. And then what that exact same income amount would qualify them for post June 1st. So there is some good information that um, a lot of banks and brokerages have put out there to really show buyers how this will impact them um, and their own qualifying individually. That's really helpful. And you mentioned, so for a buyer who previously was shopping around 500,000, you know, their budget might decrease now to 475, assuming, of course, that they were maxing out their pre-approval amount when they were shopping. And, you know, in that price range, that that can really make things quite tight for somebody who's shopping in a, a segment where there's not a lot of inventory to start with. Yeah, that's, that's, you know, like, that's the key word is is inventory. And that's what we're short on right now. Um, so, you know, this is, and, and again, I think this is partly why the government also did not want to give a good amount of notice because again, they're wanting to be mindful of people's qualifying, knowing that rates will inevitably be going up, but also to slow the market. Right. So we'll see what happens. We'll see if there is a, a drop off or a change after June 1st, but I don't think it will be a sharp drop. So it'll, it'll, it'll be interesting. Yeah. I imagine, I mean, 20% is a big number, but it's not the majority of purchasers. So that's encouraging. And, right. and, you know, I agree with you. I think overall it's, it's probably a positive change in the market or in the, in the lending market, I should say, because, you know, 
interest rates being so low as they are, you know, can't possibly stay this low forever. And, you know, we'd want to make sure that those buyers aren't overstretched uh, right. when the mortgages come up for renewal. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, on, uh, I guess another topic, uh, from a financing perspective, what have you noticed as new trends uh, with buyers these days? So we've seen a lot of interprovincial purchases. Um, so we've seen a lot of people from Ontario and BC who are buying in Alberta. Some of the purchases are owner-occupied, where people are trying to relocate here, um, move their employment here. Uh, some people are trying to buy rental properties here because the house prices uh, are low to them, uh, or they're buying properties and honestly, they're just leaving them vacant. But they're trying to buy in a market that is lower and more affordable than Ontario and BC prices. So we've noticed a huge increase in that. So it's been a, it's been a really interesting time. Um, we've heard the same thing from our a lot of our partners who are on the um, the solicitor side. So um, I'd be curious to see if you're seeing the same thing at your brokerage as well, Francis. But um, that has been, it's been a big trend. And then of course, there's also a lot of clients who are buying, pro- um, buying vacation properties. So I, again, I'm not sure if that will continue as things um, progress with kind of coming out of the back end of this pandemic, but those have been big trends. The other thing that we've really noticed is the tightening of the stress test is potentially pushing people into the alternative lending space. And back in the day, alternative lending might have been more of a faux pas for some people, but it's really not a bad option. The alternative lenders have come so far. So a lot of these banks have um, kind of little, little sister companies or um, they're just separate lending institutions altogether. So the alternative lenders, they will finance people um, at uh, higher debt ratios than the traditional banks. So somebody that maybe could only qualify for say, um, you know, 400,000 purchase price, they could potentially look at going on the alternative lending side and it has to be within reason, but maybe they could qualify now for up to 450 or 60,000. You need to have a minimum of 20% down payment to use the alternative lending space, but they are more lenient on the debt ratio. They will look at using more rental income to help offset qualifying ratios. They will look at using um, more self-employed or business income than the traditional banks will often use. So there's just more flexibility in that space. Now, they are considered a little bit more, um, well, they're taking a little bit more risk on the file because they're giving more leniency to the borrower. And in turn, they do charge a higher interest rate. So they could be, you know, right now, we've got some of our alternative lending partners um, at 2.59% as an example. So, you know, it's not that far off, but we are definitely seeing um, an influx of people moving to the alternative side um, because to them, it's more important to qualify for the property that they want or the mortgage that they want than the interest rate. So it's, it's been an interesting shift. Um, and we are seeing actually more alternative lenders come out. So kind of come to the table. So launch new products, um, just launching in general. So it's it's been interesting. And I think that that will continue to be a trend here as things progress over the next few years. Yeah, that's a really interesting trend. I, I agree. The you know alternative lending space used to be, you know, have such a stigma to it. Like only those who, you know, were having troubles qualifying or had bad credit had to look and and definitely the you know impression that most people had was that the interest rates were significantly higher but it sounds like they're still quite low in that in that alternative lending environment at least at the moment 
They are. And and honestly, there's so many great products with the alternative lending space. It's not just for people who, you know, have bruised credit, like you've mentioned. Um, it is a fantastic product for self-employed individuals, for people that don't declare much money on their, you know, personal tax returns, but maybe they leave a ton of money in their company. Um, we can actually use uh, bank statements to verify income. We look at the deposits into the bank account rather than your personal tax returns. So that can increase you know, buying power tenfold in a lot of cases and at a good interest rate. So um, there's there's a lot of advantages to that. And so you know, just speaking about trends as far as what we're seeing in the market versus what we're seeing on you know, the bank and the policy side, that is a big one. Um, and again, I, I don't think that's going anywhere. And I think alternative lending will continue to progress and improve um, kind of year over year. Oh, that's great. That's really helpful. Speaking of trends, I have a question for you too, Francis. Um, what are you what are you really seeing? So forecasting post-pandemic, as the downtown starts to be revitalized and the offices start to hopefully reopen, do you think that there'll be a surge on inner city real estate? Again, I know that a lot of people have... Um, almost left the inner city and they've looked at, you know, bigger properties, larger square footage, moving a little bit further out, um, even buying acreage properties. And so now with potentially offices, you know, getting reopened, do you think that people will now want to be moving back to inner city? So do you think that there'll be more of a push or trend to that so that people can kind of get back to their walk to work commute? Yeah, you know, it's been an interesting year and a half, I suppose, uh, in, in the marketplace. Uh, definitely when COVID first hit, we saw trends where people were, you know, uh, not just our clientele, but just in general, we saw trends where people were shifting into larger homes um, to accommodate their family. And quite often that necessitated moving further out. And then because, you know, most everyone was working from home, the commute became kind of a, non, a non-issue. And so we definitely saw, you know, a bit of a retreat to the suburbs, definitely, you know, preferences away from condominiums and into, you know, properties that had their own dedicated outdoor space uh, or, you know, and or, you know, their own front door. And so a little bit more privacy and and sort of separation from neighbors. And, you know, that's something that we we saw, you know, a lot of um, over the last year or so. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily say that we saw a decrease in activity inner city. It was more just a shift from different product categories to another. So, you know, we do a lot of work uh, in our firm with new infill homes. Um, so, you know, inner city, new product. And we honestly saw a huge uptick in activity in that segment over the last uh, the last year, especially for new homes where buyers could get in a little bit early and customize and, you know, make the home what they wanted and what they were sort of visualizing. Uh, we had a lot of buyers who were adding home office space and, you know, putting a little bit more time and energy into their their backyards and landscaping and stuff like that. Um, But, you know, ultimately, we also saw a lot of people move towards the suburbs and we had a lot of buyers who decided to enter the acreage market. So those trends definitely were something that we saw this last year. And, you know, it will be interesting to see what happens as things do open up downtown. Um, Personally, I think it really is going to hinge on whether offices go back to the way things were pre-pandemic or whether we start to see, um, you know, more big companies um, who traditionally have all of their employees downtown full time, you know, whether they embrace the work from home uh, moving forward as more of a permanent 
um, structure uh, or whether that sort of split employment where it's part-time in the office, part-time at home, if that's something that they all start to allow their employees to, to do. Because um, ultimately, you know, you're always going to have a segment of people who want to be downtown, want to be where the action is, want to be where the restaurants are and the shops and, you know, all of the cultural stuff that we do have downtown, which is really quite great and, and creates a nice and vibrant living space. Um, but for those who have moved quite a bit further away and now are going to potentially be experiencing, you know, a 45, 60 minute commute in either direction, you know, the, the real question is whether that's something that's going to change their minds about the benefits that, that, of the home that they purchased that they were looking for. And uh, it's really, I think, like I said, going to hinge on, you know, whether we still see some flexible work environments or whether it, it really goes back to the way things were before. Right. And um, I, I want to come back to this because it sparks a, another question about the downtown core. But before I do, it's interesting because a lot of home builders, they really uh, we've seen over the years, they've really stepped away from doing a lot of spec inventory um, in inner city. So, you know, they're mostly trying to focus on pre-sales for their clients and not necessarily buying the land inner city, tearing the house down and doing the new infill um, build on pre-sale. They had really taken a step back from that because they were concerned about the resale market. But um, your comments, it actually sounds like, um, and I don't know how far this will continue, but it actually sounds like a really positive thing for a lot of the custom builders to um, continue to actually still have some spec product available and maybe really just you know, split their portfolio, right? Not just focus on on the pre-sales and do more specs just to create more inventory in our city. And that could also be, you know, a bigger business for them in the years ahead if people do start to, again, commute back to downtown living. So that's uh, that's interesting. So talking about, back to your question about, or your comments about downtown. So do you have any, do you have any thoughts or feelings? So there's been a lot of mention in comments about the city's plan to convert downtown office buildings into housing. So do you have any thoughts uh, or kind of feelings about that? Uh, and will that affect the condo market? Will that affect the current inventory that we have? Is it is it solving one problem to potentially uh, make another problem worse? What do you think? Yeah, you know, it's the, the downtown condo market has been really hard hit over the last couple of years, um, and not just from COVID, um, you know, even pre-COVID, just with the oil and gas slowdown and, you know, the realities of the economic marketplace that we've had in Calgary, you know, combined with just an overabundance of supply. You know, we had a lot of properties hit the market, you know, three, four years ago um, with, you know, unsold inventory. And, you know, really it created um, like those those two playing together created some some pretty unfortunate conditions downtown and you know we have seen some pretty sharp declines in values over the last five years downtown um, and throughout you know mostly the apartment uh, condominium sector and the reality is is that with any market it's supply demand so you know we've got forces working on both sides and you know we still although the market has improved quite a bit with COVID uh, in general because there's just been a lot of market activity you know the apartment sector is still on the the tail end of the recovery and you know really I think is quite sensitive at this point, you know, could go in either direction, could start to strengthen if we see inventories remain low and demand continue to be strong. Um, but on the flip side, if we see demand pull back and we start to see any more inventories, we could just slide right back into that buyer's market that we've been experiencing. So, you know, I think the reality is, you know, having a bunch of empty commercial spaces downtown doesn't really do anybody any favors. But simultaneously, if we're going to develop those into residential properties and, and then, you know, flood that residential space with more, you know, empty units, um, we're going to 
you know, create a different problem, which is just, you know, a continuation of, of the soft market and the apartment sector. So, you know, I think it really comes down to what does the city plan to do? You know, are we talking about um, condominiums? Are we talking about properties that are going to hit the resale sector? Are we talking about dedicated rentals? In which case, you know, there's less of an impact on the sales side, but more of an impact on investors who are trying to rent out their condos downtown and, you know, what kind of competition are they having in terms of that? Um, or are we talking about affordable housing? which, you know, might actually be a great solution because, you know, we still struggle with affordable housing, you know, in our city. So, you know, there's a lot of different variables at play. And, and I think like most people, we probably have mixed feelings about, about that plan for the downtown core. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And thank, thanks for your input on that. Um, it'll be interesting again to see, to see what happens re- with the revitalization project. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Well, before we sign off, I do have one more question for you. And that's, I was wondering, uh, what do you see in the forecast? What do you see coming down the pipes for interest rates? So the golden question. So yeah, it's rates are inevitably going to go up. They have to. Rates have not been this low. I think I would encourage a lot of people to consider the variable or the floating rates outside of just the fixed rates. So I, I don't really think that you can go wrong right now taking fixed over variable. And again, this is purely just my opinion, but fixed rates, you know, you can still get an interest rate um, in and around that 2% range, depending on your on your down payment amount. For a variable, you can be in and around 1.3%, again, depending on, on down payment. So there's, there's a pretty big spread there. Last year, if you would ask what my opinion was, I mean, everybody was locking into a fixed rate. There wasn't a big enough spread between the floating rates to the fixed. Um, and so, you know, really, naturally, I would say the majority of clients were going into a fixed rate unless they had a specific reason to want a floating term. Now, I guess fast forward to, you know, mid 2021, the spread between variable and fixed is is quite a bit bigger. So we are definitely seeing more people um, trending towards that floating rate. And it's not a bad option. If you look at the history of interest rates or prime lending rates since 2010, prime rate has actually only changed 13 times. And three of those changes were actually last year because of the um, the pandemic starting and there was just a quick drop in prime. So if we take that out of the equation, really it had changed 10 times in 11 years. That is not a lot of change. So we do know that it will go up. The finance minister had made numerous public announcements that variable interest rates would not be increasing until um, 2023. They have now since changed that and said that it could be a little sooner. It could be more like 2022. And it's ultimately depending on, on inflation. So inflation is closely tied to unemployment. So the way that it works is, uh, well, there's numerous factors, but part of it, um, just for food for thought, is that we have to really see where our unemployment goes. The more that people are getting reemployed, or as you know, the pandemic Um, kind of carries forward and things reopen and people get back to work, people will be earning more money. As people earn more money, they spend and that money goes back into the economy. That helps with inflation. When um, interest rates start to go up, though, if somebody has a variable rate or, you know, a line of credit or anything that is that is considered floating um, as rates start to go up, their monthly payments start to go up. And as that happens, they have less spending money in their household. So their spending money is going towards debt and it's not going back into the economy. So they're tied they're, the, the two things are tied closely together, unemployment and inflation and the interest rate. So 
variable rates will start to go up. I am hopeful that it will be a slow incline and not a fast incline. Variable rates typically go up by a quarter point at a time. So if we're seeing interest rates on the floating side of about 1.3, if it goes up, it usually would then go up by you know a quarter point to put us to 1.55% uh, and then to 1.8%. So we would still be lower um, after two increases than what a fixed rate would be. So I truly don't think that you could go wrong with either option. I think if someone's going with a variable rate, you just have to be mindful of just watching watching the rates and watching the market. And if you you know want to lock in, of course, you have to know that you know you can do that, but you have to make that call. For the fixed rates, uh, the forecasts from the major banks are that we will continue to see a steady incline for at least the next two years. So you know interest rates should be you know three percent, if not three and a quarter percent by 2023. Uh, again, these are forecasts put out by by the major banks uh, as of today. So of course that is subject to change. But that's kind of my two cents on interest rates at at the moment and really where interest rates are are headed. That makes sense. Well, and I think we can all agree that. They can probably only go up from here. There's not really any room to go down. So it's just more a question of speed and, you know, how quickly we see raises and, you know, how quickly we see, you know, variable versus fixed um, potentially go up. Yeah, 100% right. It's, uh, it's, we, everybody just has to be mindful of the product that they're picking to ensure that they can, you know, just watch their bottom dollar, really. That makes sense. Excellent. Well, wow, this has been really informative. Thank you so much for your time, Heather. I imagine you're very busy over there at your office. So we really appreciate you taking some time to chat with us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. Thank you to Heather and Francis. And we look forward to seeing you the next time we are in your area. 